This podcast contains adult themes and content that some listeners may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. Once the commotion had died down and the pair were out of the house, Michelle's pet fox Dalton and Alsatian dog Zaith came out of hiding and sniffed at Michelle's lifeless and bloodied body. And then they started to eat her remains. The pathologist confirmed that Michelle had a fractured skull that had been caused by at least three blows and there was a deep stab wound to her cheek and a further 17 in her body. This is Red Rum. Stories about the true victims of crime. Episode 45. Michelle Crossley. The tourists and second homeowners had left the peaceful surroundings of Cornwall by the November of 2007. In the summer, the crowds flocked to the long golden beaches that peppered the beautiful coastline. High cliffs hid secret paths that children would run down to the shoreline where they could make sandcastles and swim in the Gulf stream waters that warmed the sea surrounding the southwest peninsula. The tide cleaned and refilled the rock pools each day, creating an endless source of interest and education for the children and their parents who went crabbing. Tin mining, fishing and agriculture used to be important to the half a million people who relied on the Cornish economy. That was until the railways and improved road links brought tourism to replace the worked-out mines that had mostly closed by the late 90s. The tourism and the beauty of the Cornish landscapes led to extensive stretches of coastline and also Bodmin Moor becoming designated as areas of outstanding natural beauty. Near to the furthest tip of the southwest peninsula of Cornwall, 11,000 people live in the town of Helston, just under 20 kilometres east of Penzance. Helston is where our story takes place. Traditions remain important to Cornish-born locals, and Helston is best known for the annual local dance known as the Flora Dance. Only Helston-born people can dance in the lead in each dance, and the first male and female will only ever lead that dance once in their lifetime. Traditions remain important to Cornish-born locals. Four kilometres northeast of Helston lies the little village of Leyte Wendron, and alongside the main road was Higher Carnborn Farm, where Michelle Crossley had lived with her husband, Kenwyn Crossley, since 2002. Kenwyn, at 64, was considerably older than Michelle, who was 39, and their relationship was reported to have gradually deteriorated over their 10 years of marriage. Michelle was known to be a friendly person who enjoyed the company of others. She became a committee member of the local social club, which had been part of the cricket club that had been established for over 65 years. The clubhouse was open to members all year round and provided a venue for indoor sports such as table tennis, darts and pool, which by the 1990s had become one of the most vibrant and successful sections of the club, winning cup and league competitions on a regular basis. Regulars at the club remember Michelle with affection as an active and influential member of the social committee. On the farm, 
Michelle was known as a woman who cared deeply for animals and even had a pet fox, Dalton, who would roam around the farm together with her and her Alsatian dog, Zay. Michelle befriended the many people who visited her farmhouse, including Helston couple Colin and Trisha, who regularly bought eggs from her when she would chat to them about her love of animals. They described Michelle as someone who was wonderful with animals and such a nice person. Michelle, who was also interested in expanding her knowledge into different areas, had started a law course at Cornwall College, where she made friends quickly with her fellow students and was well-liked. Michelle loved her mother and two sisters and stayed in close contact with them and was always around if they needed her. Michelle was stepmother-in-law to Gary Chadwick, who at the age of 42 was in fact older than Michelle. He was living with his wife in Penryn Street, Redruth, some 15 kilometres away. He was stepfather to a 21-year-old, Adam Jinx, who also lived at the house with him. Gary Chadwick, though, was not anything like Michelle. He was described as a domineering bully who controlled Adam, his stepson, through both physical and mental intimidation over the 15-year period he had known him. His treatment of Adam was so manipulative that it had already had a seriously damaging effect on Adam, who was now largely under Gary's control and would do almost anything he was told by him. What Gary's partner, his stepson Adam and Michelle's husband Kenwin did not know was that Gary and Michelle were having an affair. On Friday the 2nd of November 2007, Kenwin left the farmhouse for a few hours and not long after he left, Gary arrived to visit Michelle so they could continue their relationship. On Saturday the 3rd of November 2007, as the winter drew in on this idyllic part of the Cornish countryside, now deserted of summer holidaymakers and second homeowners, Michelle made a phone call at 5.30 in the afternoon. This was the last time anyone, apart from Gary and Adam, had contact with her. Then on the following Sunday morning, Gary and Adam were arguing at their home in Redruth. Adam knew about the affair between Gary and Michelle, or at least he thought he did, and he was going to tell Gary's wife. Adam had become suspicious because of Gary's regular disappearances from Penryn Street and because of one or two comments Gary had made. He also seemed to be spending a lot of time at Higher Carnbourne Farm. Adam demanded that the two of them go to see Michelle so Adam could find out for himself if his suspicions were right. In the end, after a heated discussion, Gary finally agreed to take Adam to see Michelle. He didn't have much choice because Adam would have gone anyway, and so Gary ordered a taxi to take them both from Penryn Street to the farmhouse where they arrived just before midday. Gary had warned Michelle that they were coming because he was concerned to save the relationship that really mattered to him, the one with his wife in Redruth. Michelle was waiting for both Gary and Adam when they arrived. Gary jumped out of the taxi and Adam followed and they both went in. And once they were inside, Gary and Michelle decided they needed privacy away from Adam to talk things through. And so they left the farmhouse to go to a caravan that was on nearby land to have things out. While they were gone, Adam decided to start searching the house. 
He started downstairs and then made his way upstairs, presumably in an attempt to find any kind of evidence of the affair between Michelle and Gary. This episode of Red Rum is sponsored by Ana Luisa Jewelry. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A, Ana Luisa. Anyone that knows me knows I love jewelry. And I just recently switched from silver to gold jewelry and I cannot get enough of my gold dome ring from Ana Luisa. I literally wear it every single day. It's an absolute staple for me. Their prices start from just $39 and I've got a discount code exclusively for Red Rum listeners to get 20% off. I'll leave the link in the show notes. Make sure you check out their store every Friday as new jewellery collections are released every single week. And you can get 20% off the entire Ana Luisa website by using the code REDRUM today. Go to shop.analuisa.com slash REDRUM. That's shop.analuisa.com slash REDRUM for 20% off. In the caravan, the discussion between Michelle and Gary became heated and Michelle decided to go back to what she thought was the safety of the farmhouse and she stormed out of the caravan. Gary followed. Once they were back in the farmhouse, she discovered Adam upstairs. Then Adam, who was now convinced that there was an affair going on between the two, Gary and Michelle, started to shout and swear at Michelle And as Gary came back into the farmhouse and heard the commotion, he realised that he was about to lose everything. Michelle and Adam were now back downstairs in the living room. Gary had no plan, no premeditation. He did not know what to do. His life was falling apart in front of his eyes because of his own stupidity, and there was nothing he could do about it. Gary went into the kitchen. On the kitchen table lay a rolling pin. He saw it and picked it up. He walked slowly into the living room where Michelle was standing with her back to him. He raised his arm with the rolling pin in his hand and brought it down onto the back of Michelle's head. She staggered momentarily, her body not registering the severity of the injury Gary had inflicted on her, before falling heavily to the floor, dazed and in absolute agony. There was a hammer lying on a nearby chair, a heavy, bulky hammer, the type that's used to strike nails when repairing the many fences on a farm. Gary picked it up. In the same way as he had used the rolling pin, he then used this hammer, bringing it down with great force and embedding it into Michelle's head three times, causing her much more severe injuries than the rolling pin, injuries that she was unlikely to survive. By now, the farmhouse was a mess. Michelle lay on the floor lifeless, blood covering parts of the room from Gary's frenzied attack. Adam screaming and shouting at Gary in disbelief of what he had done, but Gary still wasn't finished. What if, by some miracle, she survived? What if she regained consciousness once she was taken to hospital and told the police everything? Lying near the television in the living room was a kitchen knife with a 10 centimeter long blade. In a state of panic and frenzy, he grabbed the knife and stabbed Michelle not once, not twice, but again and again and again to make sure she could never tell anyone about what he had done. Finally, the fierce storm of fear 
Anger and hatred that had bred Gary's devastating violence subsided. Gary stood up, exhausted, and looked at what he had done. Adam just stood still looking at Michelle's body, unable to move. At first, neither of them were able to speak, but eventually, Gary did mutter his first words. He ordered Adam to go and find some plastic carrier bags. As always, Adam did what he was told by Gary, who then made him put the evidence, the rolling pin, the hammer, the knife, a bottle of wine, a glass they had used, and Michelle's mobile phone and a few other items into the bags. The next thing to do was get out. Gary obviously didn't want a taxi coming to the premises and being able to identify them as being at the farm at the time of the murder. So, the two of them started to walk the eight miles back to Red Ruth. As they walked, Gary would, every now and then, throw away one piece of evidence, then another, then another, until they were all gone. Michelle's lonely body lay at the farmhouse for hours and hours before anyone came to discover her. And once the commotion had died down and Gary and Adam were out of the house, Michelle's pet fox Dalton and Alsatian dog Zaith came out of hiding and sniffed at Michelle's lifeless and bloodied body. And then they started to eat her remains. With so many people calling at the farmhouse usually to buy eggs and other farmhouse supplies, it's surprising that it was 2pm before Michelle's body was discovered and the police were called. When they arrived, they faced the horrifying scene of Michelle's partially eaten remains slumped on the floor of the living room, blood everywhere in what looked like a frenzied knife attack, with her skull crushed from the heavy blows of the rolling pin and hammer. They checked there were no signs of life, and there were, of course, none. In order to preserve the forensic evidence, the officers tried not to disturb the body any further before the forensic teams arrived. But even at this stage, it was possible to deduce the violent nature of Michelle's death. Later, after a full examination, the pathologist confirmed that Michelle had a fractured skull that had been caused by at least three blows, and there was a deep stab wound in her cheek and a further 17 stab wounds in her body. A major incident room was immediately set up at Camborne Police Station, and appeals for anyone with information to contact the police were made. Because of the brutality of the murder, armed police were deployed and the force helicopter helped in search for suspects. 45 officers were involved, and owners of CCTV equipment were asked by police to keep footage from the 3rd and 4th of November, particularly in the areas of Helston, Camborne, Redruth and Penryn. And so, the police began to search through the footage. The police on the ground also began searching for a knife, with what they had identified as having a minimum blade length of 10 centimetres. Initially, suspicion fell on Kenwyn Crossley, Michelle's husband, and he was immediately arrested in Redruth on suspicion of murder. He was taken to Camborne Police Station where he was questioned. As time went on, it did become clear that Kenwyn had nothing to do with the murder, but the police could take no chances and were granted another 36 hours to question him. Until, after three days, he was released. 
Meanwhile, as the police looked into the jigsaw puzzle of Michelle's life and began to put the pieces together, they were led to Penryn Street and the door of Gary Chadwick and Adam Jinks. Gary was arrested on Wednesday the 7th of November and the police began to question him straight away. Then, that night, they called again at Penryn Street and arrested Adam Jinks. Gary denied knowing anything about the murder. He denied having been to Hire Carnborn Farmhouse on Sunday. He denied having a relationship with Michelle. And as time ticked away, until the police would have to release Gary, he continued to deny everything. The police were sure they had the perpetrator in front of them, and they were granted an extension for Gary's detention until 4pm the following Saturday, the 10th of November. Gary continued to deny everything, even as police were recovering more evidence from the route Gary and Adam had taken on their walk back after the murder. Then, just before Gary was due to be released, and despite the fact that Adam was under the control of Gary and lived in fear of what he could do to him, particularly after he had seen Gary murder Michelle, Adam came forward and told the police what they needed to know. Gary had schooled Adam on what to say to the police to keep Gary out of prison, but Adam told the police what had happened on the 4th of November 2007 at Higher Carnborn Farmhouse. Now, the police had a first-hand witness who placed Gary at the scene of the murder and a credible account of Gary's murderous frenzy. With the evidence stacking up against him and Adam's first-hand account, Gary was left with no option but to admit to the murder and he went on to describe Adam's involvement and how he had persuaded Adam to give him an alibi. Gary and Adam were both charged with murder and on the following Monday, magistrates at Truro Crown Court remanded the two men in custody to appear at the Crown Court in February 2008 for their formal trial. On the 18th of February, the trial started with Mr Justice Owen presiding. Gary pleaded guilty, which meant there was no need for a complex legal argument or a jury, just a statement of the facts and a summing up from the prosecution advocating a severe sentence and the defence describing what they would claim were the mitigating circumstances. Following these comments in his summing up, Mr Justice Owen told Gary, quote, You took the life of 39-year-old Michelle Crossley, with whom you were having an affair, in a brutal and sustained attack, hitting her violently over the head with a rolling pin and a hammer, and then stabbing her repeatedly. And it took place in front of your 21-year-old stepson, Adam Jinks. I accept it was not a premeditated attack, in the sense that you did not go to Miss Crossley's home intending to kill her. I accept that the murderous attack occurred when the relationship ran out of control that evening. I also take account of the fact you attempted to cover your tracks by removing evidence from the scene, and that involved your stepson. I have today seen a letter from your wife, and the letter you have written to me, and I accept that you now show a deep and genuine remorse for this horrific killing. You now understand the devastating effect you have had on the family. Mr Justin Owen made a point of taking into account Gary's plea of guilty to murder and imposed a life sentence with a minimum term of 13 years before the authorities could consider whether it would be safe to release him, which, with the year he had already served, 
meant the earliest he could be released was 2020. Adam Jinx, Gary's unwilling accomplice, denied murder. Adam and his solicitor had spent hours in legal discussions with prosecutor Martin Edmonds QC and, on the basis that Adam pleaded guilty to knowing or believing that Gary Chadwick had committed murder, it was agreed that the prosecution would offer no evidence to the murder charge. Adam admitted that he had, quote, assisted in the removal from the farmhouse and disposal of a rolling pin, hammer, two knives, a wine bottle, glass, and telephone with intent to impede the apprehension or prosecution of Gary. The prosecution barrister then told the court that there was insufficient evidence to go before the jury on a charge of murder, a decision which Mr Justice Owen agreed with. Adam was, however, found guilty of having assisted a killer and was jailed for two years, but he did walk free from court on that day as he had already served 386 days in prison awaiting trial, so he was eligible for early release. In sentencing Adam, Mr Justice Owen explained his reasons for its length by telling Adam, quote, I accept that in doing what you did on November 4th last year, you were in fact under the control of a domineering bully, a man who had physically and mentally intimidated you over a prolonged period, a man whom we know to be a violent murderer. I am satisfied that his treatment of you prior to the incident had already had a seriously damaging effect upon you. The events you witnessed that night will always be with you and that in itself is a severe punishment. You witnessed at close quarters a murderous attack on a defenceless woman. Justice Owen said that Adam was entitled to considerable credit for having the courage to tell the truth of what had happened, as a result of which, Gary had subsequently pleaded guilty to the murder. Quote, This was a very serious offence, but I have come to the conclusion that in the highly unusual circumstances of this case, in particular the degree to which you were under the control of your stepfather, that the proper sentence is one of two years. Once the case had finished and the sentences had been passed, the police were able to comment and investigating officer Detective Sergeant John Quick said, quote, This was a totally unprovoked attack on a defenceless woman in her own home, which left Mrs Crosley with horrific injuries. Michelle was a loving daughter and sister, and we hope that these convictions will go some way towards helping to give closure for her family. Mrs Crossley's mother, Anne Durkin, said, quote, 13 months ago, my lovely daughter Michelle was the victim of a brutal and prolonged murderous attack. Nothing said or done will ever bring her back, but I came here to see justice done. I have been sorely disappointed. One man, Adam Jinx, watched while the murder took place. He helped dispose of the murder weapons and walked free without having to face a jury or even having the public hear the sickening evidence. Surely this was wrong. No sentence given to Gary Chadwick will ever be long enough. No punishment too severe. Myself and my daughters, Amanda and Paula, will have to live with this for the rest of our lives. For Michelle to have been taken away from us so brutally and at only 39 years old is a tragic loss for us all. As the sentence was passed and Gary started his confinement in a prison cell to serve his sentence, the communities around Helston mourned the tragic and brutal murder of Michelle. 
They were utterly shocked that such an event could happen in their peaceful and tight-knit world. Colin and Trisha, who regularly bought eggs from Michelle, described how they were devastated by the news and Michelle's fellow students at Cornwall College also expressed their shock and sense of loss. Gary Chadwick became eligible for release under licence on the 8th of December 2021 at the age of 56. Many thanks to our guest writer for this episode. Red Rum is written and presented by Grace Cordell. It's produced by Russ Clark and Grace Cordell. Sound design by Russ Clark with additional music by Benjamin James.